Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. everybody. I'm Howard David. We're looking at Howard David Live. We're going to take a big bite of the Big Apple with a couple of columnists for the New York Post. First, it's Ken Davidoff, who's the baseball columnist for, he's been, what, almost 10 years now with the New York Post, right? That's correct. And before that, with New York Newsday. Uh, uh, very active resume, and uh, I actually dabbled in the radio business with WCBS News Radio in New York. Uh, let me ask you about your feeling before Tuesday's wild card game between the Red Sox and the Yankees, just to give you an idea where I'm going, I'm sitting there with my wife, getting ready to watch the game, and I said to her, I feel bad about this one. I don't feel comfortable. And she said, why? And I said, because Cole has been smacked around by the Red Sox over the last four or five times he's met him, and I just don't feel comfortable. And lo and behold, the first inning, uh, uh, Bogarts hits a home run, and the rest was history. Uh, as you watched that game unfold, uh, were you, well, first of all, Cole, I guess, got his first, that's the earliest he's, he's ever been knocked out of a start in his career. Uh, okay. <laughs> what, what's your question? My question is, were you surprised? Uh, well, I wasn't shocked because he had been pitching poorly lately, although his last start against the Red Sox was a win. He actually pitched pretty capable with it. Yankees gave him a nice uh, cushion at the start. He, he pitched well, uh, but uh, you know the, uh, his other recent starts were, were poor. So, no, it wasn't shocking that uh, he, he got knocked around a little bit, nor, uh, nor was it shocking that Aaron Boone lifted him as quickly as he did. Evaldi pitched pretty well. Five and a third, gave up four hits. Only one run struck out eight. Um, a couple of things. Everybody wants to know, where do the Yankees go from here? Is Aaron Boone going to get fired? Is Brian Cashman going to hold his job? What's your feeling? My feeling is that Brian Cashman will, will, will almost certainly hold his job. I, I'd be shocked if Brian Cashman lost his job. He has one more year in his contract. Uh, you know, he put together a 92-win team, which you know, by most measures is... is is acceptable. Uh, you know, Aaron Boone is a free agent, so it's a different formula there. I, if I were to bet, I would say he will uh, he will stay, uh, but it would it would not surprise me if he did not. He's won sixty percent of his games. Boone has in the four years he's been there, been to the playoffs four times. But there's this sliding scale: uh, league championship series, uh, division series, now the wild card. Uh, so you wonder how do you halt? What do you how do you stop? this free fall the Yankees are on now, and, and then it comes down to the individual players. Now, Aaron Judge had a very strong year with 39 home runs and 98 runs batted in. Stanton, uh, I would say about a month ago, I was wondering why he was even in the lineup and would the Yankees consider trading him. Well, he went on a pretty strong run the last couple of weeks. 
do you think that, well, Aaron Judge, I don't think there's any question, although after next year, he's a free agent. So the question then becomes, how high is high in terms of the money? Yeah, I think he'll do very well uh, on, a, on an annual uh, average value. I think Aaron Judge is on the older side. You know, he didn't break, uh, break into the majors until he was a little older. I mean, right now, Aaron Judge is uh, 29. He will turn 30 next April, which means you know he wouldn't be a free agent until his age 31 year. So, you know, I, I don't think he'll... He'll rival Bryce Harper, you know, 13-year deal. Like, I, I think he'll get possibly even less than half of that. Uh, but I think the, the number will be very high. And I do think there's a, a decent chance that that extension gets done this winter. That brings me to Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, he, um, as I mentioned, he's he, he was pretty strong the last couple of weeks. Uh, but he's making so much money. And do you even consider trading him one and two? Uh, how hard is it going to be to move that salary? Well, first of all, Howard, if, if you'll allow me, it's not the last couple of weeks, it's the last two months. He's okay. been on a rampage since August 1st. Uh, no, this is a guy, first of all, above anything, he, he controls his destiny as full, no trade protection as per uh, his contract. I don't think he wants to go anywhere, and right now, uh, I don't think the Yankees are in a hurry to get rid of him. You know, he, he signed through 2027. His annual salary is actually not crazy because of the way it was structured back when he signed up with the Marlins, and because the Marlins uh, did you know did kick in some money and, and take a little bit of money back in Starlin Castro back when the trade was made. So right now, I, I can't even imagine the Yankees would think about trading. Right now, he's an asset, not a liability. Let me go back to to Tuesday, if I may, for a couple of things. Number one, Stanton hits uh, in the first inning, hits one high off the the green monster and kind of loafs to first base and winds up with a single. I mean, just fundamental baseball says he should have been standing on second. But let me put that aside for a second. The next time he hits one high off the wall, Judge gets thrown out at the plate. Uh, Phil Nevin, the third base coach, uh, said, yeah, he sent him. And now here it is. There's one out. If he doesn't send him, there's second and third and one out. You got Gallo coming up. He says, Nevin, that Gallo coming up had no influence on his decision to send Judge. Uh, you're the third base coach. Do you send Judge in that situation? No, I don't. I mean, and, and I, I think he was probably being polite about the Gallo part. Uh, I, I just think Fenway is such a small ballpark, and it, it, it's really hard to score. You know, to score from from first there. You know, on, on that. Hit. And, uh, you know, while Joey Gallo, I don't feel great about Joey Gallo getting a sacrifice fly, I, I think uh, I, I would not have sent him back. So then it comes down to uh, you, you see where they are there. And as I mentioned, Nevin, Nevin was criticized on television by Alex Rodriguez. Nevin addressed it yesterday. He took issue with Rodriguez's criticism, said he's never been there before, what did he know, and so on. My question's not with Rodriguez questioning the decision. That's part of his job. My question is, why is Alex Rodriguez on television? He cheated the game. Are you seriously asking this, Howard? Yes. Yeah, he didn't cheat the game. He, uh, he, 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 cheating the game, Howard, is, is when you don't try to win. Alex was trying to win. He broke the rules, uh, and he served his time, and now he's back, and he's one of the most famous living baseball players. So that's why he's in the booth. 
So let me ask you this. Now, what's the difference between cheating the game and breaking the rules? Like I just told you, Howard, and I will now repeat, the difference is if you're breaking the rules to help your team win, then the whole fundamental concept of competitive sports is you're selling tickets to people who want to see their team try to win. It's what differentiates it from pro wrestling, right? So now uh, when you buy a ticket to see your team try to win, if a guy steals signs or uses illegal PEDs, I guess on some moral level, that's unfortunate, and you pay consequences for that. Uh, but when uh, the 1919 White Sox were trying to lose, then you're cheating the game. When the owners collude back in the 1980s, which you remember, uh, to not sign free agents, that's cheating the game. When there is segregation in the 1940s and before, and you're not signing players because you're a racist, and therefore you're not giving your customers the best product, that, my friend, is cheating the game. All right. I, I, look, I respect your opinion. You're a very knowledgeable baseball guy. I just I have a problem with that, and, and I'll just let it, leave it at that. Uh, let's go forward uh, with, uh, with where the Yankees go now. they got a $207 million payroll, estimated. So with $207 million, Hank Steinbrenner wants to win. Uh, how much does he get involved, I mean, to the point of where he says, look, we have to make some moves, and what might those moves be? And let me start with uh, let me start with uh, with Sanchez. Do you keep Sanchez? First of all, it's Hal Steinbrenner. I Hank, Hank, Hank has passed away. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I correct. I stand corrected. It is Hal Steinbrenner. Uh, yeah. Do you keep Sanchez? No, I do not keep Gary Sanchez. Uh, Gardner, you think has played his last game with the Yankees? I do think that. Yes. So. Do you think that the Gallo-Rizzo moves before the trade deadline were good moves, bad moves, one versus the other? How did you read it? Well, I think I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, Gallo was a bad move. Rizzo was a good move. I mean, Gallo, Gallo they control for next year. But I, 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 would, I would just cut bait and trade him. Uh, Rizzo is now a free agent. Uh, I would try to resign him. I think he was a really, really good fit. Lefty bat, good defender at first base, just able to handle all the noise that comes with being a New York Yankee. Uh, but, you know, it, it takes two to tango, so we'll, we'll see if they can find common ground there. Gleyber Torres moved to second base, um, has had a hotter bat before this year, uh, moved from shortstop to second base, seems to have done better there. Uh, what do you see him? Yeah, he's a tough one. That's a, that's a, he's an enigma. You know, what, what do you do with him? Uh, do, you give him do you give him a fresh start at second base? Of course, you also have DJ LeMay, who signed for another five years and his best position in the second base. Um, obviously, you're not going to return Gleyber Torres a shortstop. That That is over and failed. Uh, so that is a tough one. And I, you know, frankly, it's too early for me to try to try to forecast that one. Uh, the, uh, the fact that the Yankees, look, I spoke to Dale Murphy, the former great for the Atlanta Braves, who I have a relationship with uh, for a long time, before the season started. Keep this in mind, Ken, it was before the season started. He said he didn't like the Yankees because they had too many home run or strikeout guys. He turned out to be a prophet because that when you look at the uh, the Yankees and you got, look, Judge had 39 home runs. He also struck out over 150 times, and so did Stanton. So he's been a little bit of a prophet. See, I like players like LeMayu because they hit for high average. Normally, he did not this year compared to last year. But... I like players that manufacture runs. Yeah, it's important to have home run hitters, but it, it's either hit or miss. 
that is that the real formula for winning? Well, I don't think anyone would dispute that you need uh, the more offensive diversity you have, the better. You know that that factors into speed, base running. It, it factors in the type of hitter you are. You know, certainly DJ LeMay, who is a different type of hitter than Aaron Judge. Uh, but what went wrong for the Yankees this year wasn't that they struck out too many times or they didn't hit enough home runs. You know, if they had, you talk about home run or strikeout, uh, in 2019-2018, they did plenty of both and won over 100 games both years. Uh, this year, they simply did not home run, uh, hit home runs nearly enough, so that was the problem. Well, Sanchez was the third highest home run hitter on the Yankees. He had 23. He also struck out 121 times. Uh, so we, we've dealt with that. I like... I like catchers that can catch, and Hiroshioka has demonstrated he can catch. The question is, Hiroshioka, can he hit? Yeah, can he hit? That's the key. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone projects uh, Kyle Higashioka to be an everyday catcher. I, I think he's uh, at most the guy you share the job with, and yeah, he's he's got a little bit of pop in his bat. He can slug a little bit. Uh, he's he's not a guy who's going to hit three hundred or probably even two fifty. Velasquez uh, emerged on the scene this year, obviously an excellent fielder. Uh, he, uh, I mean, can you work with this guy? Can you make him a better hitter? Uh, I mean, probably not dramatically better. He's not a kid. He's, I think he's 27. Um, so, you know, I, I doubt he can become a full everyday player. Can he be part of the, uh, part of the solution next year while they wait to see whether they're kids you know they have these kids uh anthony uh Volpe and uh, Adelon peraza you know can they can velasquez and power wade share the job while those kids develop i think that's a possibility they missed aaron hicks uh, where is he now in his rehab uh i don't know precisely where he is now i know he certainly is expected to be ready for uh for next season and he should, he could be your everyday center fielder that's the idea yeah uh, so when you look around, and, and I don't have a list of who the potential free agents might be. I don't know if you have either, but where might they be looking to, to try to better make this team better? Well, I think casting. Uh, I, I do think uh, I think this will be a projection. <laughs> I think uh, enough is enough. Uh, and infield, I mean, the the hot uh, commodity in the free agent market is shortstop. You talk about. Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Javier Baez, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. So a lot of really good middle infielders. So the Yankees have to decide, should we dive in deep into the pool and sign one of those guys, or uh, should we not? And, and as, as I mentioned earlier, the possibility is going Velasquez and Wade and letting uh, the kids develop. But that's clearly the area where they can uh, improve as middle infield. And then the other area is starting pitching. They, I think they actually they're pitching – looks okay and that was a pretty solid year pitching wise uh but they could certainly use a, a veteran type i doubt they bring back Corey kluber so uh there are some interesting veteran types out there uh who will be free agents whether it's justin verlander or max scherzer or even uh, clayton kershaw ken david off the uh, baseball columnist for the new york post let me ask you about uh uh, the, the division, the American League East. You've got a division where the Yankees had a winning record, if I'm not mistaken, against only Baltimore. That is not a great formula. <laughs> it certainly is not. <laughs> so, yeah, you, know, you look at this division. The Red Sox, I mean, when they traded Mookie Betts, I went, wow. Uh, but what, this, this is a young team on the come. You look at the Blue Jays. Uh, they got a lot of power. They got a lot of offensive weapons. 
You look at the Tampa Bay club, and there's another team that's on the rise. I mean, the Yankees got some catching up to do. Uh, well, I mean, if, if we talk uh, in the most literal sense, they won as many games as the Red Sox in the regular season and, and won, won more than the Jays. I'm not sure I'd use the word. I would say keeping up rather than catching up. I was an English major. So uh, I, that's that's the word I would use there. But, yeah, it's, it's the most competitive division in baseball. Uh, and those other three teams have all done great work. You mentioned the Reds. The Red Sox have been amazing. Uh, really, since this ownership group took over in 2002, four World Series championships, and I think that many last place finishes, which is nuts. You know, the Yankees have uh, one World Series championship and zero last place finishes in, in the same amount of time. So the Red Sox have this uh, crazy ability to tear down and quickly ramp back up different front office people, different managers. It is uh, it is really striking and, and unlike any other team in the sport. And uh, yeah, it, it's a lot for the Yankees uh, to handle, but they have to handle it. Tampa Bay, Boston, is this um, is this a no brainer, or can the Red Sox give Tampa Bay a tough series? No, it's. I, I think the Braves are certainly strong favorites, uh, but uh, anything can happen these uh, in these series. You know, we're talking about small samples here, and yeah, I, I know for all the talk about the Yankees and how how the mighty have fallen and all that. Look, if you you know you gave me the time, we could walk through their incredible run under Joe Torre, '96 to 2000. We could point out ten different plays that happened that worked to their advantage. You know, where if it hadn't, uh, it wouldn't have been a dynasty. And similarly, we can go through these last 12 years, the years they had made the playoffs, and point out players that haven't gone their way uh, that that leave them in in the spot they are now. Which is why, for the most part, postseasons you you don't want to place all of your evaluative test just on what happens in the postseason. The regular season is still most important from an evaluative uh, perspective. If I said that the Chicago White Sox are one of the best-kept secrets in baseball, they got to play Houston now in the series. Would you agree with that? I guess, yeah. yeah I mean, they had a really uh, good season. I think what, what you know mitigates the White Sox, uh, it, you know, and maybe what keeps them a secret, as you say, is you know, their division was terrible. Uh, you know, the, the one team that was supposed to be up there with them, the Minnesota mm-hmm. Twins, just fell on their face. Uh, the Indians were rebuilding after trading Lindor, and then the other two teams were, were rebuilding. So I think that's the reason uh, doubts exist over the White Sox viability here. But for sure, when you look at their roster, they've got a, a lot of talent there. Dodgers win in a walk-off fashion last night. So now they play the Giants, who had a tremendous season. And look, this is a rivalry that goes back to when I was a kid living, growing up in Brooklyn. I don't know that it's as strong as it was back then, but it is still a rivalry. You would seem that the Giants have a bit of an edge, yes or no? Yes, I would agree. I think the Dodgers are not playing their best ball right now. I think they're hurting. Yeah, I watched that game last night's rugby game, and they, they absolutely uh, held on on the walk-off homer by Chris Taylor. But uh, you know, they have uh, Muncie is out, Kershaw is out. I. I'm sure it's my personal biases, but I think I still think there's a karmic price to pay for signing Trevor Bauer when everyone knew what a terrible person he was. <laughs> uh, so I, I do uh, I do pick the Giants for that. And then the other series got Milwaukee and Atlanta. I don't think people even realize Milwaukee. I think had like the fourth best record in baseball, uh, and they they play Atlanta. Atlanta is an incredible phenomenon to me, Ken. From this standpoint, you lose their best player in July and Ronald Acuna Jr. And they still won the division, uh, albeit uh, probably the last 10 days was more the, of the reason the way they played. But this Braves team is, uh, I don't know if they'll beat Milwaukee, but I'm amazed that they're there. 
Yeah, it was an amazing story. And, you know, we have to, again, temper it, just much like the White Sox of the American Central. The National League East turned out pretty awful, surprisingly so. Uh, so you have to keep that in mind. But to the Braves' credit, as you said, they lost to Cunha. That was a Saturday before the All-Star break. And rather than, you know, start getting ready to sell, they were I think they were five games under 500 at that point. They decided to go for it. And they, they just made the decision. The first guy they got was John Peterson from the Cubs, the outfielder. They wound up getting three more outfielders and a reliever prior to the trade deadline. And they just motored past everybody. They were my preseason pick to win it all, so I have to stick to that. Yeah, well, they had, I think, three players hit 30 or more home runs. Uh, and, and Swanson, their shortstop, I think, hit 27 or so. So, I mean, they've got, they've got a lot of offensive weapons. Uh, having said all of that, when the smoke clears, if you were a betting man, would you be betting on who to find up, wind up in the World Series? Well, as I mentioned, I picked the Braves before the season. Uh, I picked the Braves over the White Sox. So I, I got my two picks this far. So <laughs> granted, neither one of those is even remotely the favorite. But, you know, what kind of father, husband, son would I be if I didn't stick to those picks? I have to go all the way with them, right? Yeah, I, I could see that. Let me deal across uh, the river from Yankee Stadium to where City Field is and the Mets. And they already fired their manager. They made, apparently made a run at Theo Epstein to run the baseball operations. That has not worked out. Uh, where, do, where do you th- I mean, wh- what are the, the names that we're looking at first for the person to run the organization? Well, it's Billy Bean's job to lose, I think. I think if Billy Bean wants it, it's his. I mean, Billy Bean as we know, has been with the Oakland A's for a very long time, about 30 years. Uh, so he just needs to decide whether he wants to uproot, and, and he's established a, a pretty strong brand out there, thanks to Moneyball and all the success that the A's have had. And it's a matter of does he want to move from California to New York, move his family, and quite frankly, work a little harder at the baseball uh, than he has uh, the past few years when he really you know, he's able to do speeches and involved with soccer because he had put really good people in place to run the A's. So uh, that's that's really what it's all about right now. And the managerial job, who are they looking at? Well, they're not looking at anybody right now because you know they're going to let whoever runs baseball operations pick it. I, I think the real, one of the most compelling uh, parts of Billy Bean's candidacy is would he bring Bob Melvin with him you know, from the A's to the Mets? Bob Melvin is easily one of the top five managers in all of baseball, and I think that would be a real coup for the Mets to get uh, him as well as Billy Bean. We talked about the Yankees and the moves they may want to make. What's necessary for the Mets? That's a really good question. You know, they, uh, it, it seemed like they had a good core of position players in place prior to this season, and quite a few of those guys cratered, uh, and that includes Michael Conforto, who is a free agent, and Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil, who were not free agents. So they need to make decisions on those guys. You know, I think if you're really talking about who's, who are pillars moving forward, uh, Jacob DeGrom is signed for, for next year. That is an opt-out, which at this point I can't see him using just because it's uncertain health. Um, and then Brandon Nimmo has, I think it's just one more year before he becomes a, a free agent. James McCann is, is signed for a while. But, yeah, so a lot of a lot of questions about what to do with that nucleus. And obviously, Lindor is, is, uh, <laughs> is a pillar, for, obviously. Alonzo said that uh, he doesn't want a DH. Uh, now, you can take that for what it's worth. He can voice his opinion. Whether or not that's reality, I don't know. Uh, he had 37 home runs and almost 100 RBI. I, uh, I, I don't know if you would say that he's qualified to be a defensive first baseman, or do they honor his wishes? Well, first of all, I, I, I'm 
idiot for not mentioning Alonzo as one of the pillars. Uh, obviously, he is. Uh, the first thing that has to happen is, is that DH has to be formally added to the National League. That hasn't happened yet. Yes. I think it's like what life would happen, but has not happened yet. Uh, you know, I think it depends on who else they have. If they keep Dom Smith, then I think Dom should be playing first base every day, and Pete should be DHing. And I understand him not loving it. A lot of guys don't love DHing. It's it's difficult in its own way uh, because you have to kind of figure out what to do when you're not hitting. Um, but I, I don't think anyone's disputing that Dom Smith is a superior first baseman to Pete Alonso. Uh, so we will see if they hold on to Smith or trade him or get somebody else. And, and obviously whether the DH does indeed become part of the National League. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Ken David off of the New York Post. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't even think of this. Going back to Stanton, uh, are you comfortable with him as an outfielder or as a DH? Uh, I don't know if I use the words comfortable one way or the other. That implies I care. Uh, but <laughs> I thought that was an English major. Uh, <laughs> but uh, look, I do think he proved these last couple of months that he can handle playing the outfield, uh, at least part-time. You know, he, doesn't embarrass himself out there. Obviously, he's not the most athletic guy, but he, he does he gets the ball he's supposed to get, and and he certainly seems to enjoy it. And and he himself has said uh, it was part of the reason uh, for his resurgence. Are we ever going to get to a point, Ken, where we have either DH in both leagues or no DH in both leagues? I think we're very we're approaching that point very closely. I would be surprised if there is not a DH in both leagues in twenty twenty two. The Major League Baseball has, has taken its share of shots. Uh, I mean, I'll go back as far when Bud Selig was commissioner, and and I uh, was out in Milwaukee doing the Milwaukee Bucks games and made a statement on a talk show before a basketball game one night that I thought that baseball need to take a complete overhaul of what they're doing. I don't. At that time, we're talking about the winner of the All Star game got home field advantage in the World Series, and I thought that was idiotic. And Selig heard me. <laughs> And he heard me and called in and wanted to get into a debate. And I said, you know, you're the commissioner of baseball, Mr. Sealy. He says, call me, bud. I said, okay, bud, you're the commissioner. I don't expect you to agree, but you tell me why an exhibition game has got that much impact. And so he got, he went off on me. And, and so now the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks was former U.S. Senator Herb Cole, who grew up with Bud Selig. Next morning, Cole calls me at home, said, I got a call from Bud Seal. The guy said, I'm sure you did. He said, would you sit down and have lunch with the two of us and let's talk this out? I said, fine. So we did. That afternoon, one of the great hotels in America, the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee, has got a sure, great, sure. got a great, they got great omelets. So, so we're sitting down, our food comes, and he start, He didn't even wait. I mean, he went after me with both feet. And... <laughs> And, and stated his case, and I heard it, and I said, with all due respect, I haven't changed my position. It's an exhibition game. How can it impact home field advantage in the World Series? Jackie Robinson's rolling over in his grave, bud. <laughs> and he went nuts. And you know what? At the end of the meal, we shook hands. We, probably, we said we can agree to disagree, and I said, that's fine. But is baseball in a good place right now, in your opinion? Oh, gosh. You know, we could spend a whole day discussing that subject. Uh, I, I think, uh, look, I think there are, uh, on the negative side, I really think they need to figure out ways to shorten the game. I think the key to that is really adding a, a pitch clock. Uh, for sure, uh, there is a lack of stars out of the A-Rod, Jeter uh, camp where, you know, 
transcendent stars. I really think baseball has struggled to establish those kind of players. Um, and yeah, the labor discord is a huge concern. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens this winter, but there's certainly a, a decent chance of a work stoppage where you know, the season doesn't start on time next year. Uh, so those are all huge, huge concerns. On the positive side, baseball, I think it's a little uh, unfairly, from an intellectual standpoint, maligned. I don't think people appreciate just how much money baseball brings in just because it's an everyday product. You know, football, football is amazing. Football is, you know, the star. Uh, but uh, when you talk about attendance in baseball versus football uh, and just all the money those tickets sales bring in, I mean, baseball does fine, you know, and, and TV deals and baseball is still an important part of the landscape. And, uh, you know, when you get something like the Field of Dreams game that really does hit that transcendent point, you realize, like, okay, baseball isn't necessarily as dying as, as some folks uh, believe it to be. You're right on the money with the pitch, with the, the uh, putting a clock on pitchers. Uh, Raldis Chapman comes in in relief. I can take a nap between his pitches. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. I mean, it, it does. And and, the, and before I let you go, and I talked about this with, with Murphy again, uh, the strike zone. And you see home plate umpires, and it's not the strike zone that misses by an inch or two. It's when it misses by five or six inches that I've got an issue with. Yeah, I think robo ones are coming. I think they're very close to coming. You know, they're being used in uh, the Atlantic League, which is an independent league here in the New York area. They will be used in the Arizona Fall League this fall. I, I think within five years we will see uh, the robo umps, and I, I think uh, I think people will be very pleased with that. Well, let's let, let's talk further down the road when the Yankees do make some moves. If they make any big moves, appreciate your time, Ken. Thanks a million and. Uh, and uh, and th- thanks for the cr- but I still disagree. I th- still think A Rod cheated the game, but we can argue about that later. He didn't cheat the game. You okay, no, no. I was an English major. You, you, you can choose different language, but it did yeah. not cheat the game. Uh, no, I I respect your I respect your opinion. <laughs> I do. I respect your opinion. You're a great writer and a great knowledgeable guy about the game. And maybe it's just that I got a problem with A Rod. Anyway, that doesn't matter, right? Thanks uh, again for your time, and do stay safe. All right, you too. Ken Davidoff of the New York Post. Good guy. I mean, obviously knows the stuff. There's, there's no debating that. And we're going to talk uh, further about biting out of the Big Apple with a guy that knows, well, it's not just baseball. He knows it all. Knows it all. He's Mike Vaccaro, uh, columnist for the New York Post, the, the columnist, my main man. We'll talk to him further about a variety of issues, not only the Yankees, but let's see where we are. Hey, Eric. Oh, Mike, how are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? I can't complain. I can't complain. Um, I'm having a better day, I think, today than Aaron Boone is or Garrett Cole or any of the guys on the Yankees. I would think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. were, you, were you surprised at the outcome? Um. I, I, I think the Yankees win the game, so I'm going to have to say yes. But, uh, you know, when you look back at it now with perspective 2020, it's uh, it's easy to say the Red Sox probably were in, were in a better position than we thought to win the game because it was at home. All the Mexican crowds at Fenway kind of kind of came into play. I looked at um, the game before it started, and I said to my wife, I don't feel comfortable. She said, about what? I said, I just don't think the Yankees are going to win today because – I think Cole, with the exception of his last outing, I, I think his previous four or five outings against the Red Sox, 
have not gone well, particularly when it came to the long, long ball and it reared its ugly head Tuesday. Sure did. Sure did. Yeah, that was uh, that was very prescient on your part, especially because uh, Cole, you know, he really didn't pitch very well the last month of the season. Uh, you said in your column, was it today or yesterday? I forget. Good news for Garrett Cole. What is it? Well, I mean, look, I mean, he's not the first guy to, to kind of spit the bit as uh, a former Yankee owner named George Steinbrenner used to like to say. Uh, and he did spit the bit on on, uh, on Tuesday, no doubt about that. You know, really, I mean, you know, I, I know they played the playoffs last year, but really his first main stage performance for the Yankees and it came up flat. But, uh, you know, Mariano Rivera is, is his first uh, postseason as a, uh, as a closer. Uh, you know, he was he was four inches away from putting them in the ALCS, and Sandy Alomar Jr. hit a home run off him. And all he did over the next three years was compile an ERA of zero point zero zero. So, you know, there are there, there are examples of of, of taking a, an early setback and, and kind of using his fuel. And I do think that Cole's makeup is such that I do think that uh, you know I think I, I, I think he'll be better he'll be better because of this. In the future, and because he puts it for the Yankees, you got to figure he's going to get his chances uh, at redemption probably starting next year. Red Sox officially the Yankees' daddy. I like that. Um, <laughs> uh, look, the Sox have won eight of the last nine playoff games against the Yankees. That that speaks volumes. Uh, but I think the Yankees' issue is more than just the Red Sox. I see growth from the Red Sox. I mean, they traded away Mookie Betts. I thought, why would they do that? Well, I don't question it now. Uh, I mean, you look at the, the, the at Tampa Bay, you look at Toronto, uh, with the exception of Baltimore. Oh, by the way, the Yankees only had a winning record this year against Baltimore of the other teams in the division. Right now, you have to say they're, they're at best the third best team in their own division, and, and the Blue Jays are charging fast. Blue Jays had kind of a, a month-long spasm this year where they just they couldn't even close games out. Their bullpen imploded. I mean, even even if you cut that, uh, you know, cold streak they had in half, they probably wind up finishing ahead of the Yankees this year too. And they have all that young talent, and you got to figure, you know, where we sit now. They're in better position than the Yankees for next year. Um, now who knows what the Yankees going to look like next year? So you know, you kind of got to, you know, hold off on on kind of writing them off. But uh, yeah, it, it's hard. I mean, it's not just the the American League is, is stacked. The AL East is stacked. And look, the Rays aren't going anywhere. I mean, they're the youngest team in, you know, on the planet. And, you know, whenever they decide to get rid of a guy, they replace him with a guy who's better. It's an amazing system they have there, an amazing culture they have there. And the Red Sox, look, I mean, it's, it, it's really amazing. I mean, forget the fact they've won the four world championships since 2004. I mean, really, since the Yankees won their last championship in 2009, I mean, the Red Sox have bottomed out three different times finished last place three different times and all three times they've come back twice they won championships afterward and we see you know they're still playing this year when the Yankees are going home so they certainly have something built even though they really tried to alienate their fan base like you said they, they traded Mookie Best last year and people thought the Red Sox kind of started to kind of close up shop and really all they did was just kind of change direction uh, I mean if I'm a Red Sox fan I think I still want Mookie Best on my team but I get very wistful whenever I watch him playing for the Dodgers but it's hard to argue uh, you look at um, the irony Tuesday. Here's Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, who had a hand in winning uh, a, a playoff game. And then uh, Bucky Dent was in the building. And who can forget the 78 playoff game with the Red Sox at Fenway? Uh, I was in uh, Bucky's company at a golf tournament uh, oh, about 
maybe eight or nine years ago down in South Florida. And we were standing at the bar after the, the round was over. And, and I said, is it true that the Red Sox fan, fans call you Bucky blankety blank dent? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, how do you feel about that? He goes, I don't like, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Matter of fact, I get a chuckle out of it. <laughs> so, I mean, look. Anything to be remembered by, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. You know, sure. I mean, I don't know that Bucky Dent is the most hated Yankee in Red Sox lore um, any more than I think Reggie Miller is the most hated Nick opponent now that <laughs> now that the young kid in Atlanta uh, decided to steal his thunder last year. <laughs> Well, I think the feelings have probably dissipated a little bit among Red Sox fans since 2004. Up until 2004, you know, he was part of the roster of guys who had, who had tortured them for years. I mean, going all the way back to Babe Ruth and, you know, after him, uh, Aaron Boone. And, um, you know, starting 2004, the Red Sox in that drought and have now won four championships. And I think now a lot of Red Sox fans can, can look back at 78 and kind of chuckle because it's just one, you know, one more strike they had to earn before before, uh, you know, uh, seeing their team become a, a championship team again, you know, all those years later. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he's nearly as hated now so much as he's just kind of – look, I mean, I, I, 20 years ago, I don't think he would have been able to comfortably sit in the stands there at Fenway Park for a do-or-die game, put it that way. Yeah. Well, uh, Trey Young is the guy I was thinking of from the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, sure. Who had a big hand in, in the Hawks beating the Knicks in five games last year in the playoffs. So one local manager is gone. Rojas has been fired. Do you think Aaron Boone goes in the same direction, or do they decide to keep him? My gut tells me they're going to keep him. Uh, I, I just don't think, you know, it could, because I think that if they, if they let go of Boone, it kind of is an indication that, uh, that Cashman's hold on the team is, is changing, and I, and I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think Cashman wants to fire Boone or, you know, not renew his contract. I think, I think he wants to see Boone succeed here, and I think he thinks that Boone has done a good job. And, you know, it's, it's it's funny. You talk to Yankees fans, and Aaron Boone is the worst manager in creation. But he's also a guy who won 203 games his first two years. I mean, you know, he's been in the playoffs all four years as a manager. Um, you know, you don't just you don't just have that kind of success by by, 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 by picking a winning line or taking it out of a hat. I think he's a pretty good manager. I mean, look, I, mean, I, think, I, I think he's uh, – there are a lot of Yankee fans who would love to find the modern version of Billy Martin because I'd love to see guys who yell and kind of spark guys. But, you know, those guys tend to, you know, tend to wind up about three weeks on a team in professional sports and they wind up unemployed because that's just not the way that you handle professional athletes in 2021 anymore, Howard. So, um, you know, good luck trying to find a new age Billy Martin or a new age Earl Weaver. What you need is someone like that, like Aaron Boone. And I think Aaron Boone is probably the best version of Aaron Boone the Yankees are going to find. So I think that, I think that, uh, I think that uh, Brian Cashman knows that, and I think he's got enough of Hal Cyberner's a year still that I think that uh, his wishes will, will carry the day. Yeah, so you do think Cashman stays, and, 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 and in turn, Aaron Boone keeps his job. What about the Mets? Uh, apparently they made a run at Theo Epstein and did not bear fruit. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody thought that was ever going to really be a, a real uh, possibility. I mean, you know, Theo's made it pretty clear that he wants to, to be on the ground floor with a, with a pretty sizable ownership stake next time he gets back into involved with the team, and that just wasn't going to happen with the Mets. Uh, but they had to make the call. I mean, like, he's a guy they needed to, to talk to, and, you know, they did their due diligence. They, you know, they asked, and he said, no, thank you, and, you know, now they can move on. I think, you know, the two... Two candidates that make the most sense are obviously Billy Bean and, 
and David Stearns, and I think that uh, it, it, would really, it would really surprise me if Billy, if Billy Bean is not uh, introduced in a press conference around here sometime in the next month. It seems like he makes the most sense uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you could also bring his manager, you would think, with him, who I think also makes a lot of sense for the Mets. Uh, so, I mean, that, you know, from where I sit, that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, but, you know, the, these things have a way of, of uh, finding their own destiny. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. Let me shift gears to the NFL, where both teams won on Sunday, both in overtime uh, in different ways. Uh, starting with the Jets, uh, they get a performance uh, from Zach Wilson, uh, particularly in the second half. That was what they bargained for when they drafted him second overall. But more than that, the Jets' defense was stifling. I mean, they sacked Tannehill seven times, hurried him another 12 times, and I thought this was a rebirth of the sack exchange. <laughs> it was It was really kind of, kind of shocking to watch, to be honest with you. And I realized that Tennessee was a compromised team. But look, I mean, the Jets are a compromised team too. So, I mean, you can't, you know, no game they ever win at this point in their history is going to come with an asterisk. And yeah, you had to feel good for two things. One, I mean, obviously the defensive coach at Robert Sala. And that defense really, you know, looked like a, a legitimate on-the-cup defense, which, you know, I think you have to, you know, it'll be, it'll be nice to see what they do this week in London, if they can follow it up with another performance against the, you know, Falcons, who, you know, also should be a, a team that just be, you know, competitive with. But the thing that really makes you excited is when you see Zach Wilson play the way he play. I mean, he's the guy that so much of the Jets' future is tied up in. And to see him play as he played last Sunday, and to see what he did, to see what, uh, to, see, to see the poise he played with, to see some of the throws he made. I mean, look, I mean, he wasn't perfect. He threw an interception. You know, I guess the receiver fell down, but still, it wasn't a perfect game. But it was certainly his best game as a pro, and it certainly gave you an idea that maybe this is going to be something that you can really kind of wrap your hands around. Well, it, I think a play that epitomizes what you're talking about is when he rolls out to the right and starts telling the receiver to go, waving his hand downfield, yep. and then hits him for a long touchdown, Davis. Uh, and that, that told me an awful lot about who this kid is. He's, he's not afraid to, t- to make the big play now. Not afraid to make the big play has cost him getting sacked the first three games of the year to where – and his offensive line is as much of a problem as anything else. But the Giants, it's a little different. Uh, I talked to Carl Banks, their radio analyst, beginning of the season, and I asked him if this is a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones, and he said, absolutely not. Jones has not been the problem, and Sunday he throws for 400 yards, 54 of those coming on a touchdown play to Saquon Barkley, but I, I have no problem with Daniel Jones. I think he I think he can get the job done. I think he really needed to prove that he was the guy that, uh, that the Giants can trust in going forward, and I think so far, after four games, if there's one thing you can say about the Giants is that they feel as good about Daniel Jones now as they've ever felt. And they should. You know, he's, he's been terrific. And, uh, you know, by rights, they should probably be 3-1. and one. I mean, they're two plays away from being 3-1. and one. Uh, Daniel Jones will put them in that position. Uh, there are a lot of other issues on the team that are problematic, and I think that's going to become become an issue in the coming weeks when they play up, you know, better offenses, because that defense is vulnerable. Uh, but Daniel Jones is going to keep him in, he's gonna keep in a lot of those games because he really is playing with a lot of confidence. He's playing with a lot of swagger, and he's you know learning how to utilize and maximize his weapons. And uh, you know that, 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 that was really a, 
I think a seminal performance by him on Sunday. I think the Jets, in looking at Atlanta, they're playing him in London on Sunday, which gives me something to do at 9.30 in the morning. Uh, exactly. Yeah, so uh, I think it's a winnable game. Uh, the Giants, and I don't usually look at schedules down the road, but the Giants' schedule, it looks like, uh, you know, marching through Batan. I mean, they got, they got the Cowboys on Sunday, then the Rams, Panthers, Chiefs, Raiders, Buccaneers. I mean, that's, that's a hellacious schedule over the next six weeks. Yeah, it's brutal. And, you know, and, and look, I, I, you know, I thought that, that, that the Saints were definitely part of that uh, of that call and talk about, and they were able to actually, you know, pick off the, the Saints. Although, you know, the Saints kind of, I think, helped the cause. I mean, by rights, the, the, the Saints probably should have put the Giants away in the fourth quarter and never did. You know, good for the Giants, but uh, but yeah, the schedule gets no easier. And look, I mean, if they can pick off one of these games, another one of these games that we kind of assume they're going to lose, you know, maybe they get to change their season around because right around. You know, they have a fairly manageable last month of the season if they could, you know, just get to December with their season still intact. But, uh, you know, you just ticked off the, you know, the, the teams they have to play. It's going to be a real challenge. Which team do you think is headed in the right direction? Both? Neither? I think they're both headed in the right direction. I mean, incrementally. I mean, look, I mean, I don't think either team is making the playoffs. I think... Uh, I think the Jets, you know, just just started so far behind the rest of the pack. But uh, but uh, you know, you, 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 know, you have to say that the, it's a net positive so far with the quarterback, although you're still not sold on him. And with the Giants, they're definitely in the right direction. If nothing else, because I think you're definitely sold on Daniel Jones. I think that's the important thing. And look, every week, Saquon Barkley, you know, shows you a little more sign, and maybe he's back. I mean, last week was definitely, you know, his best game post surgery. Uh, so those things kind of make you feel better about where the Giants are headed too. It's just that uh, I, I, I just think they, 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 they have an opportunity to get swallowed up by just a, a brutal schedule. Post columnist Mike Vaccaro, as we take a bite of the Big Apple, uh, the two, uh, t- two cities in uh, basketball franchises. Let me start with the Nets first, picked by many to not only come out of the East, but to win the championship. However, is the one asterisk, and that's Kyrie Irving. This latest issue, this is nothing new. Kyrie Irving was a headache in Cleveland. Kyrie Irving was a headache in Boston to the point of where my old broadcast partner, Cedric Maxwell, said they wanted to throw a party when he left. Uh, Now here it is, the whole thing with his vaccination. He doesn't want to take it. Uh, If he doesn't take it, I mean, first of all, it's going to cost him a lot of money. Second of all, the team's going to suffer. And that leads to the obvious question, what do they do with him? Do they trade him? And what can they get for a guy that this that is this much of a problem? Well, right now they seem to be behind them, um, but right now all of his issues are in the abstract. Um, you know, when, if, if, if in fact he winds up having to sit out more than half the season, which is the way it's looking now, if he decides to, to maintain his position, and if the protocols all stay in place, I mean, he's going to miss 46, 47 games, especially now that LA has now kind of become a problem for him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the, what the Nets do. I mean, look, his teammates they, they say they're still behind them. Uh, I, I believe that, I think, because they're his friends. I'm not so sure the front office is going to necessarily stay there uh, and remain as patient as they are. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very unique situation, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see what, uh, what Sean Marks and everybody else there is able to do in terms of figuring out, you know, their Kyrie problem. And it is a problem. It's definitely an issue. And uh, it's something that you have to, you know, you have to keep an eye on because that's such an important part of, of who the Nets are right now. 
Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer told me that there's talk in Philadelphia that the Sixers are thinking about trying to trade Ben Simmons for Kyrie. Uh, it, look, Kyrie is a superstar. Uh, ben Simmons is a very good player, but he comes with baggage. Uh, I, I think that the Philadelphia fans have made it clear they don't want him back. But a franchise doesn't get run by the fans. It gets run by the decisions made in the front office. However, having said that, Joel Embiid, their star, uh, about four days ago stood up at the podium. He didn't exactly back Ben Simmons, which lends me to believe that, uh, you know, Simmons, I don't know what you can get for Ben Simmons because, as I mentioned, he comes with baggage. He does. He's also a fantastic player. I mean, you know, he's had his issues. But, I mean, you look at him and you watch him and you understand that, uh, you know, it's, he's not that far away from being a pretty special player. Now, if you're the Nets, I mean, I think that's I, I think he's a step back from, from where Kyrie brings you, and I don't think that that necessarily helps them. Uh, obviously, if Kyrie goes, we, we go to the Sixers in that in, in that kind of an arrangement, it would allow him to play more, so it makes him more valuable and allows him to do what, you know, to, to, to take his position and still play. Um, so from that standpoint, maybe it makes sense for both teams. But uh, man, it's, an, it's it's interesting. And look, the Sixers are, you know, it, it, it makes you wonder. You know, just just how pretty the the Bucks might be sitting because the, you know there are two chief rivals coming out of the East. They're the defending champs, but the Sixers are in disarray, and the, and the Nets are in potential disarray. So that could be great news for the defending champs. Well, you got you've got a, an East now that has become deeper and stronger. Miami has gotten better with the addition of Kyle Lowry. Uh, Boston has gotten better with the addition of Dennis Schroeder, providing uh, that he becomes the Dennis Schroeder that played in Atlanta. Uh, but, you know, they have a lot of talent there. Um, Toronto's going to be better. The Chicago Bulls are going to be better. The Atlanta Hawks are going to be better. Now, people think, and I, and I talked to a couple of general managers yesterday, they think the Knicks are going to be better, but it may not translate to a better standing in the East where they finished fourth last year. Most people feel like they're going to drop because of the strength of the East. Look, what did the Knicks have? They have Kemba Walker. Good news, bad news. Good news is, good player, terrific guy, local product. Bad news is, he's missed 55 games in the last two years. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I agree with that assessment. The Knicks are going to be better. I mean, every 48 just gives them a different element they had last year. And I think R.J. Barrett's another year better. And uh, I expect Julius Randle to take another step forward. So, I mean, I do think they could be better, a better team than they were last year, and probably by a lot. But that doesn't necessarily translate. I mean, look, a lot of... A lot of things had to happen for the Knicks to finish in fourth place last year. Um, a lot, and a lot of those things happened to other teams, the Heat, the Celtics, the Raptors. Um, and, and they just maximized every ounce. They, 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 they really weren't bitten by the injury bug much. They, they, they're kind of able to maximize every bit of their schedule, and they, they really took to Tom Thibodeau in his first year. Um, it's hard to see them duplicating that and getting the same kind of assistance they got last year across the league. But I do think they can be a better team. I mean, now, does that mean they're going to finish in seventh place or are they going to be one of the play-in teams? That could definitely be the case because of all the reasons you said. But I still think it's going to be a fun team to watch, and I think they're going to be a better team than they were last year. And that's going to translate on in, in a certain level because, you know, it's, it, you know I, I think they'll be competitive. It's better than they play with. That was the thing about the Knicks last year. You know, from, from everybody below them in the East and, and, and pretty much everybody equal with them in the West, they were – Competitive. They were. They weren't terribly competitive against the. I know they beat the Bucks once, but they were missing Giannis. They didn't look very good against the Nets last year. They they, they didn't look great against the Sixers last year, losing a couple of close games. Uh, so I think that might be different. 
I think they can be competitive with everybody they play this year, and I think that's going to be the big difference. Yeah, and the the addition of Evan Fournier, I think, is a very good one. They signed up to a four-year deal. The guy can shoot. Uh, I, I think he's going to move into the starting lineup. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, he's going to be basically a, you know, a better version of Reg, what Reggie Bullock was for them last year. And, uh, and look, I think Kemp is going to be a better version of what uh, – of what Alfred Payton was was for them last year, and I think it allows Derrick Rose to go back on the bench, where I think you know he's he was he, he was he was probably the team's second most valuable player last year as a bench player because I mean you can come in and look I mean he's a he's got a little wear of the tires and you know when he would, when, when, what they would do when he was coming off the benches you know he'd come in around the eight minute mark of the first quarter then he'd play about twelve or thirteen or fourteen solid minutes in a row. You know, go back to the bench until halftime and come back and, you know, they do like one shift in the second half, too. You know, the up and downs really, I think, bothered him in the playoffs last year. I mean, they, you know, he became a starter in the playoffs, played pretty, you know, played okay, but I mean, I think you can tell he's just not a guy right now at this point of his career who's, who's inclined to be able to get up and down four different times, which is what you do for a starter. And so I think it's going to be great for, for, for him. I think it's going to be beneficial for, for Kemba. And like, I mean, which, which, which you hope now is that. Between Kemba and Derrick Rose, you know that, that that the two of them can play seventy games each, and if that happens, then I think the Knicks will be okay. Uh, they got another young kid, Emmanuel, quickly, uh, who shows a lot of promise. Uh, I, I don't know what how much playing time he's going to get between the other two, but at least it gives him an insurance policy. Should Kemba miss a few games? <laughs> yes, and I think for him, he he managed to find his way last year. You know, even though you know Thibodeau was committed to uh, to. Uh, to Peyton and committed to, 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 to Rose once he came, he still he still had a you know, had, had a role. He'll have that similar role this year. You know, it's, you, you're always you know kind of have your antenna up to see if a guy has a, a sophomore slump. And uh, a guy of his skill set is the kind of guy you really think might be uh, vulnerable to that. But uh, look, look, he's a very confident kid. And, you know, he, he I, I, I think he, he works so hard that I think he's going to avoid that, and he'll find a he'll he'll find a role in this team. Hey, Mike, let me take a trip 3,000 miles away because I think the biggest question mark of this NBA season is going to be the Los Angeles Lakers. They made a lot of moves, and people have been critical of the age of the roster. Um, I look at this roster with the addition of a 37-year-old Carmelo Anthony and a 35-year-old Dwight Howard and a 36-year-old Trevor Ariza, who, by the way, went down yesterday. He's going to be out for a couple of months. But they've got a lot of aging veterans on the team, and, of course, LeBron, and Anthony Davis, uh, I look at Anthony and Howard and Russell Westbrook uh, as guys that have never won a title that see this as their chance to get their first championship. Yeah, for sure. And look, I mean, why not? I mean, you know, it's a, uh, you know, I, I think the Westerns is, is, is wide open this year. I mean, we saw what happened last year, of course. That was partly because of all the injuries. But look, I mean, I think the, I think the Clippers, who otherwise would probably be the odds-on favorite, are not going to be because of Kawhi's situation, and uh, you know the Lakers are, are the Lakers. I mean, and, and LeBron is LeBron. And, you know, if they can figure it out over the course of the first forty games of the year. You know, look out the last forty games. Then once you get to the playoffs, you know, my money's always going to be on LeBron until I'm proven wrong. So it's uh, it's uh, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they, they have the possibility for a lot of volatility and the possibility for some special stuff. It's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think the Lakers care if they finish first, second, or third in the West. Uh, you know, I don't think it matters to them terribly. But be, uh, let me get um, an opinion, uh, not an opinion, but a feeling. If the Lakers wind up playing the Nets in the final, I think that might break some television ratings records. 
Yeah, it could be. It would be very interesting because Kyrie could play at Auburn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that could that could make it very. Uh, that would be a talking point. If Kyrie's still on the team, I mean, at, at the protocols are in place, he won't be able to play in New York, and he won't be able to play in LA. So that would be uh, kind of a kind of a bummer for the Nets. So, but uh, yes, I mean, look, I mean, just the the, the, the Durant against uh, LeBron element of it, I think if you're a basketball fan, that's going to be something that's going to be irresistible. Hey, Mike, I'll be honest with you. I just can't see any way. Look, I, I don't know how you figure it out if you're the Nets, but I don't know how in the world you can keep this uh, Irving on your team knowing you're not going to have him for a su- su- substantial portion of games. And, and look, is Trey the answer? I don't know. I don't know what team, number one, what team's going to want him, number two, because he does bring a lot of baggage. But he also brings a lot of talent, brings yep. a lot of track record. I mean, he's the, he's, he's, he's the quintessential guy. I mean, he brings a lot of baggage, but he's sure when he's on, there's no – when he's on, there's no more enjoyable player to watch because he's just incredible. He's an incredible talent, and I think that's, you know, what's carried him through a lot of his other his other issues and will continue to because he's still as good a player as he's ever been. I got into um, – and before I let you go, I got into a debate with your coworker Ken Davidoff. Uh, I said that Alex Rodriguez has cheated the game because uh, he did. First of all, he didn't need to use steroids. He was a great player before, but he did. And so here's a guy that got suspended for 60 games, and now he's on ESPN on Sunday night. And personally, I don't think that's that. I don't think that's right, considering what he has done. Uh, Ken says he didn't cheat the game. Uh, it's not like he stole signs. Yeah, he broke some rules. Uh, where are you on this? I'm, uh, I'm asking your opinion, me versus Ken. But we we gave each of our opinions, and I'd like to hear what yours is. I mean, I don't think that uh, he should be barred from uh, Sunday Night Baseball because of his past. I think he should be off the air because he's terrible. <laughs> I, mean, I can't, <laughs> I, I, can't li- I can't listen to him. I mean, you know, and, I, and I think there's a lot of people that I know who, who opted for uh, – a radio broadcast of Tuesday's game, knowing that he was going to be the only television option. I mean, I just, I just, I, I just don't think he's any good at it. I mean, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, yeah, but I, I think, I, I think I would express my opinion of, of Alex as a player is disappointing because I'm with you. I don't think he needed to get the extra help he got from performance enhancing drugs, and I think it's going to affect his legacy. Uh, but that's a whole different conversation. I mean, you know, for, as far as Sunday night is concerned. I mean, I don't think that precluded them from hiring him. If he, if he was and if he was good, I'd be all in favor of, uh, of of listening to him. I just don't think he's any good. In fact, I think he's gotten worse. I think some of his observations are ludicrous, and it's just it, it's it's a burden to listen to. So I'd rather not have him be on Sunday Night Baseball, but he's got nothing to do with whatever he might have put into his system as a player. Okay, uh, I, I can buy that. So you know, as as long as the current hierarchy is in major league baseball a rod doesn't get into the hall of fame roger clemens uh mcguire i mean the list goes on but let's put those guys aside has pete rose suffered enough and is it about time that uh that major league baseball brings them back into the fold or, or you don't care well, look. I mean, I've been a guy who said all along that uh, that he, you know he should have been he should have been allowed to be on the ballot and let the people who generally decide these things, you know, decide them. I mean, I, I think that the writers, for better or worse, um, have probably dovetailed with what the Hall of Fame and what baseball wanted in terms of the steroid guys, because you know none of them have gotten in. 
uh, and I don't think any of them are going to get in. I mean, I vote for Clemens and Bonds. We're going to have a whole different conversation about this, you know, when the Hall of Fame vote comes out, because I'll vote for them one more time in January and January, December when I get my ballot. But, um, you know, that you know the, the majority is carried, that those guys haven't gotten in. I think probably the same thing would have happened for Pete Rose if he would have put him on the ballot and at least allowed his name to come up. I, you know, again, I would have, I, you know, I would have voted all these years for Pete Rose uh, because, but because I think that you know, with the caveat that you know when he gets in, I think that on his plaque, uh, you should go why he wasn't in for you know 30 years prior, and I think that would be an important element to the history part of the Baseball Hall of Fame. If on you know Pete Rose's plaque it says was suspended from baseball for for 30 years because he bet on the game, I think that's important for future generations to see. But I also think that it's. Like I, think, I, I think you have to be in the same way we have to use our logic and our reason to determine how we feel personally as voters about the steroid guys. Same thing with Pete Rose. And I think that, you know, there's there, there, there's no burden of proof. I don't think he bet on the game as a player. I think he absolutely bet on the game as a manager. I think most of the time he probably bet on his own team, although I can't say that with any certainty. So I think that, look, if he had been a Hall of Fame quality manager, maybe you know maybe that brings his credentials as a manager into play. But I don't think anybody who ever watched Pete Rose play uh, ever thought that he gave anything less than 100% as a player, and his performance was certainly Hall of Fame worthy. So to me, I mean, that's the kind of things that you know we're asked to judge on every one of these players. And to me, I would have liked the opportunity. Uh, the guy who won back-to-back MVP awards is not in the Hall of Fame by the name of Dale Murphy. Um, and there's a guy that played back in the day with the Brooklyn Dodgers that was a premier first baseman of his time in Gil Hodges. He's not in the Hall of Fame. And on both counts, I'm wondering why not. I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I do think it's harder to get out to get in from the, uh, from the when you're on the writer's ballot. I mean, you know, getting 75% of any, of, any, of any group to agree on anything is impossible. If we had to... You know, if we had to elect a president based on 75% of the people agreeing, we'd never elect a president. It's a hard thing to do to get to 75%, which is the reason why, you know, you generally get the best of the best. And I think, you know, even people who think those guys belong in the Hall of Fame, and you know, expand that group to include guys like Heath Hernandez and Don Mattingly, uh, Dave Parker, um, you know, you can certainly, you know, say, uh, see why maybe they may not have made the, you know, the, the, the grade when you're talking about having to get 75% of the writers vote, but... You know, it's, it's surprising to me that they haven't been given greater consideration, especially Hodges from the Veterans Committee. I do think that you're going to probably see guys like that get in more because I think I do think that uh, we see more of a uh, of a welcoming uh, kind of philosophy among the Veterans Committees, the various Veterans Committees. Now that you see a guy like Ted Simmons and a guy like uh, Hal Baines, I, mean, I, I still have a hard time thinking of Hal Baines Hall of Famer. Ted Simmons, I have less of, a, of an issue with, but when you look at Ted Simmons, I don't think I, I don't think he was he, he, he ever got five percent of the vote. You know, when he was uh, on the ballot, and uh, you know, I think that's one of the great things about the Veterans Committee is it gives it gives a guy's career time to breathe, and I think that's what's going to happen with guys like the, the, the ones you mentioned. I think Murphy's got a great shot for the Veterans Committee. I think Mattingly does. I think Hernandez does. I think Hodges definitely does. I hope Hodges gets in before his wife passes away. Because that'll be, you know, it would be it would be tragic, I think, if uh, if it happens after her death. Um, but to me, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, it'll be very interesting to see, 15, 20 years from now, when the Veterans Committee starts pondering guys like Bonds and Clemens and A. Rod, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, and those guys. 
You know, right now they have no shot because the Veterans Committee is very anti-performance dancing drugs. But once the makeup of that committee changes, it'll be interesting to see how that happens for those guys, too. You are the man, Mike. Always great talking to you. You stay safe. Thanks again for your contributions. Always, Howard. Good talking to you, buddy. Thanks, man. He's Mike Vaccaro, columnist for the New York Post. Top-notch columnist. I, I, I'm sorry I didn't make, make, make a mention of the fact when he said... Um, if Pete Rose were to get in the Hall of Fame, there should be a notation on his plaque that said he missed the game for 30-year period, and here's why. Well, if you can do that, then you probably should uh, go into Canton, Ohio, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and make an addendum to O.J. Simpson's plaque. Put on trial for the murder of his wife. Actually did nine years in the penitentiary for another crime. Might as well do that. Fair is fair. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live, taking a bite of the Big Apple. You stay safe. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube